0: chapter 8 this morning. Let me pray for us and then we can be seated and we'll get started this morning. Let us pray together. God, thank you so much already this morning that you were glorified in this place. I pray that uh, as we sang this morning, our hearts were stirred uh, towards you, our affections towards you. Uh, Christ, you have a mighty name, a mighty name to save, to redeem and to heal. I I pray that uh, we didn't wouldn't just have sung those songs, but those songs would have penetrated our hearts. God, we pray this morning for not only us here at Powell's Chapel Baptist Church, we pray for every church in our community that stands on the gospel of Jesus Christ, Hickory Grove and uh, Holly Grove and uh, Lighthouse Church and Walter Hill Baptist Church. We pray for all the pastors that in this very moment are proclaiming your word, that you would use those words to penetrate the hearts of your people. God, I pray this morning that many people would come to know you because of uh, other men and church's faithfulness to you and the declaration of your word. I pray for us here at Palace Chapel this morning. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be sensed and felt in this place and that it would continue to transform us and to renew us to become more like your Son, Jesus Christ. We give you all the honor, all the glory. It's to your name we pray. In Christ's name, amen. We're in Nehemiah chapter 7. Or chapter 8. We were in Nehemiah chapter 7 last week. We've been journeying through Nehemiah verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through this idea that the God who builds, and we're talking about the God who builds, wants to use God's people to bring redemption into God's city. The whole idea in Nehemiah was that the people of God had nowhere to go worship God because the walls had been broken down and they had just rebuilt the temple but they had no place to go worship God they had no safety and so therefore Nehemiah got word that the walls were broken down and Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem to begin to rebuild the walls not just so that the city would look pretty but that the people of God would have a place to worship God and last week we looked in chapter 7 now that the walls have been been rebuilt we're going to take this uh, begin to take this swing in Nehemiah uh, from chapter 7 onward That not only does God want to rebuild the walls, but really God wants to rebuild the city, the people of God. And we looked at that last week in chapter 7, that God wants to rebuild the people. And so this morning we're going to look at, here in Nehemiah chapter 8, how God wants to primarily rebuild people. God primarily rebuilds the people of God through the Word of God. And so this morning we'll look at the Word that builds. God is going to use god's word to rebuild god's people to send out god's people into the city to reclaim uh, the lostness in the city god wants to do that here for us we stand by the word of god if you've ever wondered for us why do we why do i in particular, teach verse by verse that's called expository preaching it's because it's not about my good ideas i don't want to come to you each morning each sunday morning with my best thinking Uh, you You don't want that, trust me. And so I want to focus verse by verse through the power of God's Word that brings transformation. And so here at Powell's Chapel, we do what we call expository preaching, going verse by verse by verse by verse through the books of the Bible. We've done that since day one that I've been here, to look at every Word of God, not Todd's idea, but God's idea for the people of God. And it comes out of one of the places that My conviction comes out of here is from Nehemiah chapter 8. And we'll see that. We'll see that Nehemiah and Ezra stand up before the people of God and all they do is just proclaim the Word of God to give to the people of God the words of God to rebuild them. That must be true for us this morning. If you have your Bible, turn quickly to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. This is what it says about the Word of God. This is where we must start. This isn't just a collection of 66 books that have some good ideas in them, that have some good stories in them, that have some good ways to live our life in them. This isn't just a uh, secular version of our self-help book, but this is what Paul says to young Timothy as young Timothy's becoming a pastor about the very words of God, the Bible. It says this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says, all of Scripture is breathed out by God. So every single word of this Bible has been breathed out by God. John tells us that this is the very words of God, that Christ is the Word of God. And so we believe, here at Powell's Chapel, this isn't just in the self-help book, but this is the very words of God. This is the primary way that God wants to speak to us. It's not the only way, but it's the primary way that God is going to speak to us as His people. And what is the words of God that He breathed out into His Scriptures for it's profitable for teaching. So the words of God, we go verse by verse because it's profitable for teaching. For reproof, that just means correction. For correction, for training in righteousness. How come? That the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the Word of God is for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that you and I, the people of God, may be complete, equipped to do the very works that God has called us to. Paul tells us that God has a plan for all of us that He prepared for every single one of us from the beginning of time. And we must come to God and say, God, what is that plan? It will be revealed to you and to me through God's Word primarily, not the only way, but primarily. This is the primary means that God talks to his people from the beginning of time. We'll see that here in Nehemiah. That God will use his word to build his people. Here's what uh, the writer in Hebrews says in chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God, the scriptures is what? It's living and active. But this word of God is still alive today the same way it was a thousand years ago when it was written 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago. It's still alive and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit, the joint and the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the, the attentions of the heart. So God's Word is living and active, and it's for our good. It's to divide the heart, to divide the wickedness in us. That's how God wants to build His people. Here's what Kevin DeYoung says, a young um, young pastor up in Michigan. He says this about the Word of God. We need the Bible if we are to be competent Christians. Not just Christians, but competent Christians, those that know the Word of God. We need the Bible to become competent Christians. The Bible will build us up so that we can endure suffering. Have you ever suffered The primary way, again I'm going to continue to say the word primary, the primary way that God's going to use um, us in our suffering but to get us out of our suffering is through the Word of God. It will give us discernment. The Bible will give us discernment for difficult choices. It will make us strong enough to be patient with others and patient enough to respond with kindness when others hurt us. The Bible gets us up to bring meals to new moms and pray for people in their hospital beds. The Bible equips us to be truth lovers and truth tellers. It sends us out to care for the poor and welcome the stranger. There is no limit to what the Bible can do for us. To us and through us. We can never outgrow the Bible because it always means to, it's, it's always means to make us grow. That's what the Word of God is. God is going to use His Word to grow His people, to accomplish His mission. And the mission is the same. The mission here at Powell's Chapel Baptist Church is that we would know Him and to make Him known. How are we going to know Him the way that you and I are going to know Him is to know the very words of God. That's how God is going to grow us to be deep-hearted lovers of Him. It's through His Word. And so this morning, we're going to look at Nehemiah and the people of Nehemiah. And how God used the Word of God to grow God's people to impact their, their city, their church, their community, all over the world. We're going to look at a few things. Here's what one writer says about us, and I think it's true, about the people of Nehemiah. He says this. Uh, this isn't on the screen, Brett, if you're looking for it. Don't, don't panic. I promise it's not on there. This is what one writer has to say. It's, it's the people, not the walls, that make the city. It wasn't the walls of Jerusalem that made the city. It was the people of God that made the city. It will be us. It won't be this building that makes the people of God. It will be us going into the city to bring transformation and hope into this lost city. So we're going to look at a few things this morning in Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 18. I'll read some, teach, read some, and teach. Let's read in chapter 1 through 8. Uh, to begin with. It says this in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he, Ezra read it from, from facing to the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand it. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra, the scribe, stood at a wooden platform and they, they had made him for that purpose. And beside him stood these 13 men. I won't read them because I sound ridiculous when I read all their names. But just there's 13 men standing beside him. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people as he opened it to all the people who stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The first thing that we see here in Nehemiah, chapter 8, verses 1 through 8, is God's Word is valued. The very word of God is valued. Here's the beautiful part about this is that the people were gathered together. The people were united. The very words of God is what united the people of God. God's word brought value to the people and the people valued God's word and came to Ezra. This is the greatest part of this story for me is this very first line. It says, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. The water gate is simply what it says, the water gate. It's where all the water of the city was. It's where it would be the, the same equivalent for us And when we go to work and we gather around the, the water uh, pitcher, whatever it's called. We gather around there. So all the people would come into this part of the city to gather water. And so the, here's all the people of the city of Jerusalem. They'd come to hang out, to get water, and they said to one another, hey, you know what would be good for us? The Word of God. Here we are, God's rebuilt the walls through Nehemiah. Here we are, we begin to establish ourselves as a city. We've come to live inside the city and there's something missing. The word of God is missing. So the people said, hey, let's go to Ezra. Ezra didn't come into town with his idea. The people of God were in one accord with the word of God. They understood God's word and their need for God's word i was thinking to myself for us as a church do we gather together every sunday morning to hear god's word are we gathered together because we've always done that before like is your primary reason my primary reason for coming here on a sunday morning not to hear me but to hear from god do we come, do we gather together every Sunday at ten fifteen because we're eager about hearing the words of God? See, the people of God there in Jerusalem, they were so united, and it, they knew the importance of gathering around God's word that they went to Ezra and said to Ezra, we need to hear from God. Please open God's word to us. They begged Ezra to open god's word to them they were desperate for god it's what happened in the new church in acts verses 2. acts 2 verse 42 man if you have a chance read the book of acts here's this people of god all from all over the known world had come and they heard peter preach and in hearing the preaching of god's word Not Peter's ideas, but the preaching of God's word. They gathered together and they said this in verses 2, 42. They, the people of God, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. Their primary reason for gathering was to hear the words of God. You see, I hope what unites us is in a building, I hope what unites us isn't a denomination. I hope what builds us isn't tradition. I hope what unites us isn't all the good things that we do. What I hope unites us is the very words of God. I hope this is what unites us as one church and one expression of God's bride in this location. Are we desperate to hear from God? Are we desperate to hear from God? Because if we don't, aren't desperate to hear from God, the rest of the things I'm, I'm going to teach on this morning will not matter. My prayer is that this morning you woke up and there was this desperation about every one of us that says, I've got to get the church to hear from God, not from Todd. I know they say, sound the same, but to hear from God. Look, I got to hear from God this morning. Is that true for you? Is that true for me? Or even in my study time, am I more concerned about getting a message for you or am I more concerned about getting a message for me? See, you don't want me to bring a message for you. You want me to deliver a message that comes from God to me, for me. Then there will be power in that. If not, it's just homework. And so for me, I'm faithful in studying the text, not for you, but for me. And I pray that's what unites us, this desperation to hear from God. Again, we can hear from God in a lot of ways, but the primary way to hear from God is through His Word. We've seen it over and over throughout time. God uses His Word to reveal Himself to His people over and over and over again. So the first thing that we see that God's word is valued and that they came united to hear God's word. The second thing that we see is in the second half of the verse. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. The next thing that we see is that the people of God were enthusiastic about the word of God. Are we enthusiastic? Do we have a desire to hear the words of God. I'm going to get to it in a minute. These people stood up for six hours to hear the word of God. Now we come for 30 minutes and sit down and have new cushions that are amazing. We don't come and stand up for six hours. So if you think I'm long-winded, man, my brother Ezra was super long-winded. And they were not in the AC. They were outside in the heat of the day because they were enthusiastic to hear from God. I often wonder to myself, what if we in America did not have all the comforts of the building? What if we here in America didn't have the comforts of A.C. and running water and toilets and all that come with this place? Will we still be enthusiastic about hearing the Word of God? Would we come and would we have this desperation that would say, hey, we've got to hear from God. The people said, man, we've got to find Ezra and we've got to say to Ezra, bring us the word of God. They were enthusiastic. It comes from, if you have a chance this week, I encourage you to read Psalm chapter 119, the whole chapter, that whole chapter, verse after verse after verse after verse after verse, the theme of the longest chapter in all the Bible the very theme of it is the Word of God. Every single sentence in that chapter over and over over a hundred verses about one thing the Word of God. You see because the writer David had this enthusiasm about the Word of God. I'll just read a few that he says this is what the Word of God is. Is it true for me? Is it true for you this morning? Verse One hundred three And Psalm 119 says this. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Is that true for me? Man, the sweetness of honey. Do I crave the word of God as much as I do honey and nice hot tea? Whatever it is that whets your appetite... That, that, that tingles your palate when it comes to food. That's what David's talking about. He said, whatever whets your appetite, is the word of God, does it wet your appetite that much and then some? He says it that this, that's just one of the ways. Again, there are a hundred, over a hundred ways that David talks about the word of God. He says this, your word is what a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You see, David understood his greatest need was God's Word and that he needed something to guide him other than himself. He he needed more than a self-help book. He needed more than Dr. Oz. He needed more than Oprah. He needed more than Joel Osten. He needed more than Todd. He needed the Word of God to be the thing that guided him along his path. He was desperate, and so therefore he, he had an enthusiasm about the word of God. The last verse, I could go on and on through verse just this one chapter of the Bible. We'll only see three. Is verse 111. Your testimony, your word are my heritage forever. They are what? The joy of my heart. Is that true for me? of all the things that bring me joy, Tennyson, Cedar, Jenny, a great steak off a grill, Miss Marilyn's amazing cookies, whatever's in there, that'll make you go back to rehab, those things, those things are amazing. But even all those things, all those pleasures, all those joys, how do they come in comparison to the joy of God's Word in my life? Do I have an enthusiasm the way these men and women and children in Nehemiah chapter 8 had for God's Word. Is it true for us? Is it true for you? You see, because when we begin to come united and we have this desperation for God's Word and we have this enthusiasm for God's Word, the third verse will just flow out of us automatically. It says this in verse 3, And he... Read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. That's six hours in the presence of all the men, the women, and those who could understand. Here's the key verse underline this. And the ears of all. Circle that word. Highlight that word. All. Here's just a Greek test for you. All means all. Every single one. All the people were what? Attentive to the Word of God. So the people were attentive. All their ears of all the people were attentive. Because they had this desperation that they would stand in the heat of the day for six hours because they wanted to hear from God and God alone. And they stood attentive to that. I can barely stand attentive in a line... And, and to a roller coaster. And that's just maybe an hour. God forbid I go to Walmart and have to stand there for five minutes. Or Target, or Publix, or wherever. And here are the people of God looking at the Word of God has been spoken, and they stand, all of them attentive. Even the children, that, that's what it means. All who could understand. That means the children were even attentive. Good luck if Tennyson gives me six minutes, less six hours. But the children who understood the Word of God stand, stood in attention to the Word of God. One of the reasons that we have you stand is because we want to give attention to the Word of God. It's not just to keep the, the blood flowing in your legs. I want us as a church to have such a renowned respect for God's Word. That's why we have you stand. That's why John or me or someone else reads the Word of God to you. So that we would have this attention and be attentive and have an awe about the Word of God. Here's what one commentator says about our attention to God's Word. He says, we need to allow time for God's Word to penetrate the mind to stir the heart, and to direct the will. You see, when we give our attention to God, then we give this elapsed time that God can really speak to us. You see, when when these men stood for six hours, and these women stood for six hours, and these children stood for six hours, they didn't come to God's Word and sit and read it for six minutes. They stood for hours. So that their, their minds could understand what God had for them and that their hearts would change and then their hearts, their will would change and therefore they would be compelled to do something about it. I think so often here in the Christian church, the Church of America, we don't have a, much, a, a large enough attention span biblically to allow even to hear what God has for us. We come to God's Word as if we come to God's Word like a microwave. You put a steak in there and it comes out well done two and a half minutes later. That's not the way to cook a steak, just to let you know. If if anyone's doing that, come to me. I'll give you some pointers how to cook a steak. It takes patience to get a good steak. How much more patient are we with God's Word? How long in our day do we give to invest in God's Word? Or is what we do in our quiet times just something we're supposed to do or we should do or it's just something we check off the list. Well, I'll do this so I can go do that. I need to work out. I don't have time to read God's Word. I need this, and we neglect God's Word. I need to do this. Anything else that you're putting before God's Word is not going to be what God has for you. I promise that. Even your own families. Your wives, your husbands, your children. If you're putting any of those things before God you won't hear what God has for you for them. That was the beautiful part about this passage. They stood for six hours to hear the words of God, to be proactive in what they heard from God. We'll see that in the next chapter, in chapter 9. Are we attentive to God's Word? You see, because when we come together and we are united as one, and we have this enthusiasm about God's Word, and we stay attentive to God's Word, we will respond to God's Word. We'll look at five, four things. How the people of God responded to the Word of God. Start in verse 6. Here's the words of God being preached to God's people. Uh, Ezra stood up and opened the book. This is verse 5. In the sight of all the people. For he was above all the people and he opened it And all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen. They lifted up their heads, they bowed their heads, and they worshiped the Lord. Four things that we see. The first one is this. Our response when we come to the Lord must be, Amen, Amen, Amen. Simply the word Amen says, Yes, may it be so. When we come to God's Word, is our response to God's Word, Amen, Amen, Amen. Are we saying to God, yes, your truth is true and it's applicable for my life. Whatever you would have for me, I will say yes to God. I think that's one of the hardest things in the Christian life, is to be obedient to God. God's Word is going to demand things from us. We looked at it throughout the Sermon on the Mount. That's the reason we went through the Sermon on the Mount, verse by verse. That the demands of God are extraneous on us, but would we say yes and amen to the things of God? You see, you have to know what to say yes to before you can say yes to them. Therefore, do you know God's Word? Do I know God's Word? Am I in God's Word to be able to say yes to The next one is this, once we say yes to the things of God, we will what? We will lift up our heads to God. Meaning, simply this, we will become dependent on God. You see, because once we say yes to God, there's got to be something in our hearts that says, man, there's no way I will even want to say yes to that, therefore I need to lift my eyes and my heart and my hands to the Holy One that says, man, I'm in desperate need of you To do what you've called me to do. You see, they heard from God here in this passage, and their response was yes, yes, amen, amen. And then their next response, right after saying yes to God, was a total dependence. Yes, I'll do it, but I need your help to do it. Is that true for you? Is that true for me? The next thing is this after they say yes to God, they ask for dependence on God they do what? They bow their heads. That simply means they will humble themselves under the submission of Christ. Here's what submission looks like. Now this is going to look silly, but this is what it looks like. I better take my jacket off. Jenny doesn't want to wash this, I'm sure. But this is what true submission looks like. It's not the jacket I promised. True submission, when I say to God, yes, God, I'll do whatever you call me to, I'll be totally dependent on you, then yes, God, I will humble myself and lay out before you in total submission to you. You see, total submission means I lay flat before God, I don't look up and question God, I just lay my life out before Him and say, I'm totally in submission to you, God. Because once I do that, then I'll do what the next thing says, then I will worship a holy God. But my worship from God isn't where we start, it's where we end, because we say yes to God, we come to desperation to God, we lay our lives and surrender to God, therefore we worship a holy God. Amen? And so are we a people of God that are responding to the words of God in obedience the way that the people of Nehemiah did. How am I and how are you responding to the words of God? Here's what one writer had to say. Seeking his face meant covering their face. Let me say that again. Seeking his face meant covering their face. Simply saying, oh God, I'm in submission of you. And I need You. Amen? Is that true for us? Here's the next thing as we come to the final part of the passage. In our response to God. That if, if God's word is to v- be valued, we'll be come together united. We'll be enthusiastic. We'll be attentive. We'll be responsive. And the last one is found in verse 8. It says, And they... These are the men, the 13 men, the the priests. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. The last thing that we see is that this, are we teachable? Are we a teachable people? You see, they came to Ezra and they begged Ezra to teach them the word of God. And, ne- and Ezra and Nehemiah began to teach the word of God. And then you see these 13 men, these priests, these Levites, go and break up the men and women and begin to teach them more about what Ezra was saying to them. They stay teachable to the word of God. They didn't get to a place that says, Man, I've got it all. I don't care how long you've been a believer. Do you and do I still have a teachable spirit when it comes to the Word of God? Are we still hungry for the Word of God? Are we still in humiliation for the words of God that say, God, your Word is true, your Word is right, and I need to learn from you? Or do you come to church, do I come to church thinking I have all the answers and sit in your Sunday school or sitting here thinking, man, he is way off. Now, I'm not saying don't come and and see if what we're seeing is truthful or not. I'm just asking, remain teachable to what God would have for you. None of us in this room, myself included, have all the answers. There is one who does. And he's in this room this very moment. His name is Jesus. But we must come and we must remain teachable to God. Christ and Christ alone and sometimes Christ does use your Sunday school teachers he uses me will re- remain teachable to all that God has for us because God wants to use his word to build his people amen the last thing that we see is how do we therefore now apply God's word to our lives so if we've come together and we value God God's Word, and we are responsive to God's Word, how do we apply God's Word to our life? It's found in verses 9 through 12. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or do not weep. The very first thing that we see when we hear the Word of God preached is that the people of God, how did they The the words of God exposed their sin. They heard the word of God and their very first response in those six hours wasn't just to praise God, but they began to weep for six hours. The word of God exposed their sin. That is what it means when Hebrews 4 says the word of God is active and alive. It's here to expose us to our sinful condition. And all of us in this room have sin in our lives. How do I know that? That cross shows me that. That cross reveals to me, ought to reveal to you, that I'm in desperate need of a Savior every moment of the day. And so when I hear the Word of God, it's my first response to be exposed to my sin. You see, the people of God heard the words of God and they wept and they wept And they wept, and they wept. You see, we can just see that one little phrase and then see the rest and skip over the rest. No, this is a holy day to the Lord our God. Do not mourn or weep. They were weeping, and now Ezra's going to say to them, hey, the day of weeping is going to come. We'll look at that next week. In chapter 9, it's all about the day of atonement. But we must start with weeping, but we can't stay with weeping. That's what Ezra and Nehemiah are saying to them. We must weep. We ought not to be like the man that James says in James 1, through 25. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what he is like. You see, when I come to the word of God, the word of God is like a mirror. The word of God is going to reveal to me my blemishes. Well, maybe that's not what you go to the mirror for. That's what I go to the mirror for. But if I go to the mirror and I look and I see the things of imperfection in my life and I turn and I forget what I just saw, I'm not really, I'm only a hearer of the Word. I'm not a doer of the Word. And so when you and I come to God's Word and God's Word begins to reveal our sin in our life, if all we do is recognize it and we, t- we turn, but we don't turn in repentance, then we're just hearers, we're not doers. And so for us, are we not only hearers, but doers of the word of God? It starts with repentance. starts with mourning, which leads us into the next verse. What else does God's word do for us? How else do we apply it? It's in verse 10. He says, "'Don't weep, for all the people wept "'as they heard the words of the law. "'And then he, Ezra, said to them, "'Go your way, eat the fat, "'and drink the sweet wine.'" and sends portions to everyone who has nothing. So he's saying, don't don't weep. Don't mourn. Like, You're going to get to this in a minute. Remember all that God's done for you. That's why he's saying, don't weep and mourn. There's a day of weeping and mourning. It's called the Day of Atonement. But right now, you're in the festival of booze. That's what is happening. We'll get to that in a minute. We're to be reminded of all that God's done for us. Therefore, we'll see it in a second. The joy of the Lord is our strength. So don't weep and mourn. That's coming. But if you do weep and mourn, be reminded of what God has done for you. Have joy. And in having joy, go and eat the best of the best and drink the best of the best. Basically what he says, go party. Go throw a party. I wonder for me and for you, when's the last time we threw a party for what all that God has done for us? This party had wine. I'm not telling us to go drink wine. I'm just saying they brought out the best of the best of the best to be reminded of what God had done for them. Because when we're reminded of what God has done for us, and we party, and we have the joy of the Lord, it will be a natural overflow to do what it says. When we know the Word of God, God's Word will teach us to care for others. You see, if I have the joy of the Lord, and I'm throwing this party, do I not want all the people that are around me to join me in the party? A party's pretty lame if it's just you and a steak. And so what Nehemiah is saying to us, throw a party and invite everyone around us and give away what you have. Give the joy of the Lord away. He's literally saying, go take care of people. Those who have no food and wine, you who have it, go give it away to other people. Go care for people. How much more are we to care for lost people? If you're a believer here, and I'm a believer, how much more ought we to give that greatest gift to the world that does not have it? You see, when you or I, at least for me, I love eating food, and I love going to great restaurants. And if I go to a great restaurant, you can bet assured the next day I'm telling people about that great restaurant. But when it comes to my salvation, how often do I keep it to myself? How often do I not give that away? How often do I not call people to that party? You you see in Luke 15 it says that when one sinner comes to know Christ, all of heaven throws a party. And the sweet invitation to us as believers, hey, you get to go and invite people to the party. You have the invitation card. You are the ones with the invitation. Go and invite people that are lost to this party. But for you and for I, is it true? What happens to this? Do we believe that the Word of God provides these things? You see, if God's Word is to be applied, God's Word has to be applied in His provision. How does God's Word, and what does God's Word provide for us? They begin to talk and, and say this, For this day is holy to the Lord, this is verse 10 and 11. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites called the people and said, Be quiet, be still, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and sent portions to make, uh, to make a great rejoice but they had understood the words that were declared to them. The three things that we see God's Word provides for us is this peace joy and strength is that true for you is that true for me when i come to god's word does it provide me with peace in spite of the storm in spite of the chaos in spite of all that's going into your life and around my life when i come to god's word god's word promises me that there's peace amidst the storm you see, I think what Satan does for us is to say to us, hey, there is no peace in your storm, so don't go to the one that provides the peace. That Satan will use those storms in our life to keep us away from uh, attaining the peace that comes through Christ and Christ alone. But think about your story. Think about your journey with the Lord. The moments that you came to the Lord in the midst of your crisis and you really began to beg God from God's Word, did you not find peace? in spite of your circumstances. I'm not saying your circumstances didn't go away. But did you find peace? I know that's been true for me. I know in one of the moments, and I've shared this story before, in one of the moments of the most chaos of my life, when my dad committed suicide, I wanted nothing more to do, to run from God, but something in my spirit said, no, you need to go to God. And so the rest of that day I was on a plane and I just saturated myself with the words of God. Now my circumstances did not change. Me getting into God's word did not raise my dad from the dead. My circumstances did not change. It did not give me any more hope that my my dad was a Christ follower. My my dad from the day he lived to the day he died was an adamant atheist. That did not give me any more uh, assurance that he was going to heaven but it did give me peace in the storm. When, when cedar was born in those two or three days why they do this to new parents i don't know if you're a nurse or a doctor don't do this to new parents don't go give those kids hearing tests it's the most frightening thing in the world and so cedar was born they give him that hearing test within hours and he doesn't hear but no one decided to tell us what well, might be because of all the stuff that's in his head from the last nine months that would have been a very helpful thing to hear they could have sucked that out and then done the test no they didn't want to do that So for two days, he failed the next test the next day and failed the third one before we left. So I'm thinking in my head, my son's going to be deaf. And I went to God for peace. I went to God for comfort. Now, my circumstances didn't change until I went back to the doctor two weeks later. But I was able to have peace in the midst of the storm that says even if, if Cedar was to be deaf, God has a purpose and a plan for him you see God's word brings us peace God's word brings us joy and God's word brings us strength that word strength simply means protection you see this is our one offensive weapon to Satan and it's also our one defensive weapon to Satan we are to yield it both ways. This is our strength against our enemy. We have an enemy that wants to kill, steal, and destroy us. We have an enemy that Peter says is like a roaring lion waiting to devour us. But if we know God's word, this is our strength and our protection. You see, if you remember when, when Jesus was led into the wilderness by the holy spirit to be tempted by satan what does he do as his offensive defensive weapon he uses the very words of god to defend himself he could have used anything he could have used a rock a shield whatever he used no he went and said no this is what god's word says this is my strength this is my hope this is my protection is that true for me do i know god's word that way the last is found i won't read it due to time it's found in verses 13 through 18. God's word is a constant reminder of two things. The past, that's what, they're in this celebration, the day of booze. The day of booze was simply that they would be reminded of God's journey out of the wilderness with them. And so they would set on top of their houses, these booze, they would go, it says it in the passage. they'd go and get sticks and leaves and all these things to make shelter for themselves, the same kind of shelter that they'd use while they were coming out Uh, of um, Egypt into the promised land. And so God's uh, word is to remind us of the past. When I come to God's word, am I reminded of the past? Am I reminded that, wait, I had a Savior and I had a Savior that redeemed me from my sin? You see, that's the whole remembrance for these Israelites is that they remembered the gracious hand of God was on them and led them out of the wilderness and they are able to praise God for His provision. When I come and you come and we read God's Word, are we reminded of our sin? But in being reminded of our sin, are we reminded of the gracious hand of God who led us to redemption, led us to His Son? God led you. To his son you did not lead yourself to his son and so when i come to god's word and i read god's word i'm reminded of my wicked wicked ways i'm also reminded of the great provision of christ jesus for every sin that was atoned for on the cross amen so are we reminded of all that god has done for us but it doesn't stop there are we reminded of what's to come the present or the future There is a future for you as a believer that we must be reminded of. There is a moment in our lives that the very power of sin has been removed from our life and there will be a moment in your life, it's called glorification, that the presence of sin has been forever removed from your life. We get to spend all of eternity with Christ Jesus. We must remind ourselves of what's coming. The other part, I've said it before, we must have a reminder of what's going to happen to Satan. We must... remember and remind Satan what's going to happen to him. Because when we remember what Christ is going to do in us and through us, we'll remember what Christ is going to do to Satan for all of eternity. You see, that's what happened here in this chapter. You see, it all hinges. If God's going to grow God's people and move God's people and rebuild His people, He's going to do it primarily through the Word of God. Do we know the Word of God? Have we hidden God's Word in our heart that we might not sin against Him? Have we reminded ourselves of the goodness of God through His Word? This week, go read Psalm 119 over and over and over again. Another thing that we do here at Powell's Chapel is each month, they're on the back shelf. When you leave here, we have mapped out what it looks like to read through a book of the Bible so that you can saturate yourself in God's Word. Maybe you're saying, I, I don't know how to read God's Word. I don't know where to start. Start with that piece of paper this week. Here's the beautiful part. What God tells us in Isaiah. That when we soak ourselves with God and God's Word, His Word never comes back void. And you may be saying today, I don't understand God's Word. There is a Holy Spirit that lives in you that will enable you to understand His God, God's Word if you seek Him with all of your heart. You, you see, it's not just that I know God's Word because I've got some commentaries and some other Bibles and some resources. No, I, I, I come to God's Word daily because I'm in desperate need of God. And the very first thing I do before I ever go to any commentary is say, God, I need You to reveal to me what is in Your Word. I need His revelation to speak to me the same way that You do, the same way that I do. Are we desperate for God? Are we desperate to know God's Word? Again, I'll read this in closing. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the, the, the attentions of our heart. We have an active Word of God we must pursue let us pray god thank you for this chapter these next few chapters seven eight nine is just a turning point in this book that reveals to us your desire to grow your people god i pray that you would grow us as a people here at Powell's chapel and growing us god will start with us being united around your word and your word alone God, I pray for us. I pray for us as a people that you would give us a passion and a desire for your word, God. And as you give us that passion and your desire and we move into that and we begin to read and engage your word on a daily basis that you, Holy Spirit, would then transform our minds to understand your word more and more. God, let us be a people that your word runs through our veins. This is our life source. Dear God, I pray that we'd have a desire and a passion for it. God, if there's anyone in here that doesn't know you this morning, I pray today would be the day that they would fall in love with you, that you would draw them to yourself. God, if there's people in here that are struggling with their intimacy with you, with their walk with you, that today, God, they would be reminded of your goodness and your grace and your mercy and your love and your kindness. Lead us as a church, God. Let us be a church that knows you and has a desire to make you known to a lost world. We pray this in the famous name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Take your hymnal...